when Alan asked me to teach, I was kind of, I asked him, oh, so what do you want me to teach on? He's like, oh, whatever you want. I didn't want to hear that because that usually means there's a lot of time where I have to like really think about it and figure it out. And it was cool, though, because the Lord really confirmed it many times, not just once, but many times that this is what he wanted me to teach on. And um, I went through some spiritual warfare just preparing this message. It was, a, it was an interesting time, but um, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, uh, especially um, when it comes to interpersonal struggles or things that you and I might struggle with. Um, and obviously, when we think about spiritual warfare, I think, at least for me, I automatically think about, like, <clears throat> angels and demons, right? And that is obviously an, an aspect of spiritual warfare, um, but that's not what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, it, yeah, it definitely manifests itself in different ways. You know, um, that's one of them with angels and demons, but also um, sometimes the enemy prevents us from moving on, uh, from moving forward. I, I thought of my, my friends who just recently moved to New Zealand, who three years ago felt that the Lord called them to New Zealand. Uh, and after three years of all kinds of crazy um, visa stuff and their son having surgery and, you know, money problems and all that stuff, they finally went, you know. So that's another type of uh, spiritual warfare. And there's obviously, you know, we think of like illness or poverty or even sin. These are all different types of spiritual warfare, right? But I want to talk about tonight uh, are the inner struggles, the things that you and I struggle with in our hearts and in our minds. And it's, um, I think it's really important because in the mind is where a lot of what we do comes from. And in our hearts as well, the Bible talks about, says that uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you know, and we act on what we're thinking or what, our, what is in our hearts. So, you know, some of those things, some of those interpersonal struggles are, you know, depression, anxiety, loneliness, anger, or apathy, you know, evil thoughts, discouragement, or even a sin that we're struggling with, something in particular that you've been struggling with for a while or something that's stuck with you. These are all uh, things that kind of start in the mind. And whether you're going through it now or you're going to in the future, um, I think it's really necessary to understand this, um, this aspect of, of spiritual warfare. And I, I definitely think it's something um, for each of us, for each of our lives as Christians, I really believe that there's a time in our lives where our, our faith will be tested. Um, where we're really going to find out whether we're serious about the Lord, whether we're serious about pursuing him or not. I read this quote today. It says, there's no way of learning faith except by trial. It is God's school of faith, and it is far better for us to learn to trust God than to enjoy life. That's, uh, that's pretty crazy. So 
All of these things, these, the spiritual warfare that we go through, will either drive us to the Lord or away from the Lord. So before I get started, I just want to pray real quick. Uh, Father, again, we just thank you so much for this time that we have in your word. Lord, thank you that we have um, the Bible, God, and that we can learn about you, Father, and that we can draw closer to you and... Um, Lord, just uh, you direct our lives, Lord, through, through your word and, and through understanding your character. So I pray, God, that your word would come alive to us tonight, Lord, that we would understand you better tonight. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to go through uh, four different things, four different uh, tactics, if you would, that the enemy uses, um, that he uses to to basically get us down, to, um, to make us stumble. Uh, these obviously aren't the only four tactics that the enemy uses, but I think they're very, um, they're one of his, or four of his most frequently, frequently used tactics. And I also think there's a progression here with the four different things. So the first one is isolation. Um, then abandonment, uh, hopelessness is the third one, and um, feeling useless is, a, is another one that the enemy uses. So we'll start off with isolation. Um, isolation is one of those things that is, uh, it's brutal, it's, it's hard. Uh, to, to deal with, whether it be you're isolating yourself because uh, you're struggling with a sin and uh, you're embarrassed about it, or you're going through something at home, there's something going on with your family or with your friends or whatever, and you're embarrassed or you, don't, you just don't want to uh, be around other people, so you isolate yourself. You don't tell anyone about what you're struggling with. You keep it to yourself. And uh, the, Bible, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 18, that's a foolish thing to do. It says in Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. So it's, um, it's not a good thing for us to isolate ourselves, right? Now, obviously, I'm not talking about us going out and seeking the Lord, going into the woods or whatever, or, you know, spending time alone with the Lord in our room and praying. That's something totally different, you know, but, but thinking that we can do it on our own, thinking that we don't need anybody else's help, that we're strong enough. And, you know, and I think that's definitely something that the world promotes is uh, finding your inner strength and doing it all on your own, you know. That's, uh, that's foolish, according to the Bible, according to sound wisdom. But also there's this feeling of isolation. When you go through something and you feel like no one else could ever understand what you're going through. I know for me, that's, that's one that the enemy uses often and something that I fall for very often, you know. Much to my, uh, much to my chagrin, I don't know. Um, 
you know, he often whispers to me, you're the only weirdo who goes through this. You know, no one will ever, ever understand what you're going through. No one, uh, no one will want to talk to you about it because they don't understand it. So you might as well keep it to yourself. Uh, you can't talk to anybody about this, you know. And I went, I went through a time like that in my life. And I'm going to get really personal with you guys here. Um, about, about three years ago, I was in Costa Rica. I went down there as a missionary. I was down there for a total of eight months. And uh, the last two months of my time down there, uh, I went through the most difficult time in my life. I, uh, once I came back here, I, I guess was diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety and panic disorder. Uh, so for, for those two months, I lost a lot of sleep. I was sleeping on average two hours a night uh, and it was, it's terrible. Actually, you know, according to science, uh, losing sleep messes with your mind a lot, you know. Uh, they tested it on gorillas and stuff like that. Uh, I remember there's one test I heard where they kept, they kept um, keeping this gorilla awake. Right before he would fall asleep, they would nudge him and wake him up. And after a while, he just went nuts. He went crazy. I don't know what happened to his keepers, but he went nuts. And uh, it's definitely something that messes with your mind. And for those two months, I lost a lot of weight. I lost anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds, which, you know, I'm not a big dude. For me to lose 10 or 15 pounds is a lot. I was, I didn't look good. <laughs> I really didn't. Um, and I was, uh, I don't know if anyone here has experienced panic attacks, but I was experiencing panic attacks uh, sometimes multiple times a day. And that is a horrible feeling. It's, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's a terrible thing. Um, and the people I was with, even the, my friends that, that I was down there with, they didn't understand it. And I didn't expect them to understand it, you know. They didn't understand this, uh, this condition that I had, you know. So as, as much as they tried uh, to help me, they just weren't able to. And I remember this one night in particular, the last, the last night that I spent there, um, I slept probably a total of one hour, maybe. Um, it was definitely the hardest night of my life. Um, my friend Ryan was there with me. Uh, I think you, some of you guys have met him. He, uh, he spoke at a retreat here a few years ago, actually while, while we were down there. Um, and I would, I would, um, I tried to go to sleep and I couldn't. So I would walk, walk for two miles, however much, just to tire myself out enough to go to sleep. And then I would be asleep for maybe 15, 20 minutes, wake up, have another panic attack, and walk for two more miles. And I did that all night, all night. And it was, it was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> like I said, it was the most difficult time in my life. And um, when, I came back, when I came back here, again, it was very difficult because I came back to 
I mean, I was away from New Jersey anyway for a long time. I was, I was in California for four years. So a lot of things here had changed. You know, a lot of my friends had gotten married. Uh, one, of my, uh, one of my friends had, uh, you know, a baby with one on the way. You know, a lot of things had changed. So I was dealing with that. But then also I was dealing still with this stuff, with anxiety. And um, I just felt the full spectrum of the enemy's attacks during this time. Um, I mean, it was a really dark time in my life. I was, I was this close to walking away from the Lord. I mean, really, really close. And this was like, it's crazy because some of you guys knew me during that time, you know, but I was really close. And uh, I had um, suicidal thoughts all the time. Um, and it was really uh, difficult. I was ashamed. I was ashamed uh, being around my friends because I thought, you know, I was really self-conscious about it. I thought, you know, that they were thinking, oh, well, we don't want to hang out with him because he might, like, freak out or something like that. Or, you know, I remember one time my, my friend joking, I forgot to take my medication. And, and he, my friend goes to me, oh, oh, man, you forgot to take your medication. Oh, great. I don't know about that. And I was like, Come on, man, that's messed up. He was joking, though. But, um, you know, I was really uh, obviously having a hard time and feeling extremely isolated because nobody knew what, was out, what I was going through, or so I thought, you know. And then, um, then I began to realize, you know, why, why am I telling you guys, uh, why am I telling you guys this, you know, uh, I'm telling you because I'm sure that you are going to or have felt a time in your life where you felt like you're the only one that is going through something. And I remember the night that, uh, or one of the nights that I realized that I wasn't the only one going through it. It was with Rachel, my wife, my lovely, beautiful wife back there. Um, we were reading through this book. Uh, it's a book on spiritual warfare and um, by Brian Boderson. I recommend it. It's in our library. It's a little thin book. It's really, really good. But it was really crazy because I, that night I was crying my eyes out. I was just really having a super, super hard time with my anxiety and stuff. And I re, I'm re, we're reading through this book and we read about uh, John Bunyan. I don't know if you guys know who John Bunyan is. Not Paul Bunyan, not the big blue ox guy. But John Bunyan is the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, he's a rad dude. Um, also, Charles Spurgeon. Both of them dealt with these, dealt with anxiety and dealt with the doubt that I was dealing with. And it was one of the most liberating things, knowing just that. So it wasn't until I really started connecting myself with other people and allowing myself to not be so fearful about what they were thinking about me or what they were going to do or how they would react if they saw me having difficulty with my anxiety. It wasn't until then that I really that the Lord really started to minister to me, that the Lord started really to work in, in my life. 
And it was so cool because, you know, the Bible tells us that, um, that we're a body, that uh, the body of Christ is made up of m many different members, you know, and one member can't function by itself. Every last one of us is a part of that body. And seeing that in my life, you know, connecting myself to other Christians, not pushing them away, not isolating myself, uh, I really began to be healed in my life, you know. In James 5.16, uh, James encourages us to confess our sins to each other. And it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Or this can also, we can also say, confess your struggles to one another uh, for the sake of this teaching. You know, I don't know if that's like blasphemous for me to do that, to kind of change it a little bit. But it says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So I didn't want to burden anyone with what I was going through, even though I felt super alone and I didn't want to uh, tell people about what was going on with me, mostly because I didn't think they'd understand. <clears throat> but the Bible tells us in Galatians 6.2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so that's where I want to encourage you guys, you guys as um, high schoolers, as students, to come to us as leaders. We, that's what we're here for. That's, what, um, that's why we come here every Friday, is because we want to encourage you guys. We want to point you to Christ. We know... You know, we, we've got some leaders here that are pretty old, you know. They, there's like Mike Panarello now. He's, he's joined us. He's, he's pretty old. I'm just kidding. Um, but we've gone through a lot of stuff, you know. Um, like I said, that whole experience that I went through, had I not gone through it, I wouldn't be able to counsel somebody who's going through it, you know. A lot of us, that's what we're here for, is for you guys, is to encourage you guys to have that fellowship with you guys, to help you with whatever you might be going through. And I know, you know, thinking back to when I was in, in high school, there was stuff that I was going through too that I didn't want to share with anyone or I didn't even think that I could share with them. I didn't think they would understand. But the truth is that, that we have. We've gone through a lot of the things that you guys have gone through. And we want to help you in that, you know. Hopefully, you know, the Lord will continue to give us that wisdom to share with you guys, to help you guys through <clears throat> this journey, you know, uh, through this relationship with the Lord. So we can, um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. But um, I pray, you know, I pray that you guys, who, whoever maybe maybe just one or two of you is feeling that tonight, feeling that isolation, feeling like um, you have no one to turn to. I would beg of you, you know, to, to come to one of us or to share with someone that you really trust, one of your friends, you know, someone that you can really um, bear your heart to and know that the body of Christ is just that, it's a body. Um, made up of different members, but one body. 
So the next thing is uh, abandonment. It's another tactic that the enemy uses is feeling as if the Lord has abandoned us. Um, maybe you guys haven't experienced that, but but what happens though? What happens if you pray and you pray and you pray and it doesn't seem to be uh, coming together or that situation, that sin that you're struggling with just doesn't seem to go away or that situation at home doesn't seem to get better. Sometimes you feel abandoned. Sometimes you feel like the Lord isn't there, like the Lord doesn't, isn't listening to your prayers, like he doesn't want to hear what you're saying. You know that David felt the same way. There were times in David's life where he feared for his life and he thought that the Lord abandoned him. Let's turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13 talks about David um, and his time. I believe this chapter is when he was hiding in a cave from, um, from Saul. Saul was seeking to kill him, and he felt like he was abandoned from the Lord, or by the Lord. It says in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy exalt, be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And skipping forward a few chapters in chapter 77 of Psalms. Uh, starting in verse 2. Psalm 77, he says, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. I read this, I read this uh, chapter during that time uh, in Costa Rica, and it was like, it just tripped me out how much, um, how much that applied to me. You know, the Bible talks about how it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that, um, man, the word really came to life that night for me. It says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, David felt much of the same way that, that um, you and I might feel, that abandonment, feeling like, like the Lord isn't listening to what you're saying. The Lord doesn't, um, isn't listening to your prayers. So how do, we, how do we combat this? How do we fight this, this thought that the one person that we trust in our lives, the one person that we're supposed to trust absolutely just isn't paying attention to us, 
just doesn't seem to be there. You know, and I think that was one of the things that was most difficult for me is that I felt totally abandoned. And I was like, Lord, this, you're the one person that I, I can turn to because no one here on this earth has control over everything or anything for that matter um, like you do. And I'm looking to you and I'm crying out to you and you're not answering. You're not acting how I want you to act. What we need to do is use truth. Remember who God is. Remember his character. Remember all of those promises that we learned in Sunday school, that we have learned every day reading our Bibles. Um, First of all, you know, thinking of Ephesians 6. Uh, I wanted to teach on Ephesians 6, but it's, that's a whole other teaching. It's an amazing uh, little chunk of scripture that talks about the armor of God. But one of the, uh, one of the elements of the armor of God is the belt of truth. Um, the belt of truth is basically you, you and I knowing the truth about God, knowing God's character, knowing uh, who he is, and girding up our pants with, with that truth. You know, I, I always have in mind when I, when I read about this is um, somebody with uh, baggy pants, somebody who's sagging their pants, they're all low and stuff, and uh, I just always think it's funny. Um, my brother always says that he wants to just, like, pants them or something like that. But, uh, you know, when they're walking, they seem to be very uncomfortable. They seem like they, they're not going to be able to move anywhere quickly, you know, or, or uh, run from somebody. I saw this cop video one time. It was amazing. There's this guy who stole a car, and he goes up, and, and he, he comes to light. He hits the car in front of him. He jumps out, and he's got these monstrous pants on. And he's trying to run, and I'm like, oh, he's going to get it. And they, they tased him, and he just, you know, seized up and fell on the ground, all because of baggy pants. If he had some nice, like, soccer shorts on, he would have been gone, you know. Um, but, you know, I always think of that concept, that concept of, of us having, you know, big baggy pants and us not being able to move, uh, not being able to move well because of that. You know, that's holding us back. But putting on that belt of truth uh, so that we can navigate or trudge through all of the lies that the enemy is throwing at us. So that when that thought comes into your mind, oh, God has abandoned you. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you anymore. You put that belt of truth on, and you're able to walk through them and say, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. That also is a lie. You know, I think of um, so many truths in the Bible. The fact that the Bible says he will never leave us or forsake us. And that is a promise that I had to hold on to during that time. Also in Romans 8, Romans 8, 38, uh, it's a a couple of verses that we all know very well, tells us that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Nothing. It says in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, or in other words, nor any other created thing, nothing, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I always think it's so funny because it's like this whole set, this whole list of different things. And then basically he ends it by saying nothing. There's nothing created on this, in this universe that can separate us from God's love. I also reminded my, remind myself with this truth in, in Psalm 34, verses 17 to 20. It says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. How many times have we looked back at a time in our lives, a, a struggle or something like that, and seen that the Lord was with us through, through that whole time? You know, it, and it's, it's so funny because no matter how many times the Lord is faithful, I still doubt. I still um, am afraid, like, oh, well, is this going to be the time that he isn't faithful? There, there's no reason. God has never given us a reason to doubt him, to um, think of him as unfaithful. And I always think of Psalm 139. Um, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, tell us that we can't escape God. We can't escape the hand of God. And that's not like in a scary way where he's chasing you and you can't get away from him. It's not like that, you know. It's, it's a great thing. It's an amazing thing that we can never lose him. It says in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, I always thought this, uh, I remember Chuck Smith uh, explaining this verse, this last verse, and your right hand shall hold me, um, talking about how God holds us. This verse doesn't say, and there your hand shall lead me and my right hand holds you. Because if it were up to us, we would let go. We would be lost. We would, uh, we would lose the Lord in a sense, you know. But it says here that his right hand shall hold us. He's the one holding on to us. He's the only one able to hold on to us for eternity, right? So the third thing is um, hopelessness, this, this sense this feeling of hopelessness that we might have. Uh, in other words, uh, a circumstance is impossible to, come, to overcome. Whether it be a sin that you're, you feel like is hopeless, like you can't ever overcome it. You know, like you're, you're, um, you're trying to fight it, you're trying to overcome it, but you reach a point where you're like, why am I even trying? Why am I even trying to do this? It's, it's going to win anyway. Um, where's the truth in that? There is no truth in it, you know. The truth is that there's no state in our lives where God is not able to overcome it, where God is, will not be victorious. 
where God is weak, where he is lacking or unwilling to, to help us out. The Bible tells us that we're more than conquerors through Christ. Uh, we can overcome whatever it might be through Christ. First John 4, 4 tells us, greater is he who is in us than he who is of the world. So if God is in us, we're able to overcome anything in this world. Psalm 3, 8 tells us, victory comes from you, O Lord, may you bless your people. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So what are we fighting with? When we, when we fight that hopelessness, when we feel like we're up against, you know, uh, unbeatable odds, what are we fighting with? What promises do we have in the Bible? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, sorry, I'm like machine gunning some verses for you guys, but if you can catch up or keep up, it says in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 4, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare aren't, aren't what we can see, aren't tangible things. We're not talking about machine guns and spears here. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the Holy Spirit that's able to tear down those walls, that, that's able to uh, give us the victory in, in a hopeless situation or seemingly hopeless in, situation. And it's amazing because if we think about the power that we have through God, if we really meditate on that, we have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And I think that's one of the most mind-blowing, exciting things about the Lord, about us having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus was risen. He rose from the dead. And that same power, that, that same ability that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. It says that in Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So we have that power. We have that ability to overcome a hopeless situation. I know I felt like that in my life where, you know, even with this whole thing with, uh, with, my, with the panic disorder, it's like there have been times where I'm like, there's no way this is ever going to be uh, something that I can overcome, you know, and I've seen the Lord just be faithful over and over where, you know, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've struggled with that. And it's, I can't tell you how liberating and how amazing that is. I've struggled with that since fourth grade, you know, that's not like something that just happened by chance. It's something that's been going on for most of my life, you know, so another, uh, the fourth thing, the fourth thing that, the fourth tactic that the enemy uses to, um, 
to trip us up, you know, to make us feel uh, emotionally inept, I guess, um, is that feeling of uselessness. And there are times in our lives, and I know I'm not the only one, where for whatever reason, whether it be uh, because of a sin you're struggling with or uh, something that you were born with, some disease that you might have or some condition or something like that, that you're convinced that the enemy can't, that the enemy, that the Lord can't use you. You're convinced that whatever you're struggling with, whatever you have in your life, just the Lord doesn't want to use you because of that. The Bible talks about so many people, so many different people with these uh, excuses or reasons, you know, as to why they couldn't, why they couldn't serve the Lord or why they felt like they couldn't serve the Lord. For example, uh, Moses, Moses had a stuttering problem. Hosea, he married a harlot. He married a prostitute. Jacob, he was a liar. He was just always lying about something. David had an affair. Solomon had a problem with women. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, or is it the other way around? 300 concubines, 700 wives. That's insane. That's crazy. Man. Abraham and Sarah, they thought that they were too old. Timothy, in the New Testament, he had ulcers. Peter was a self-righteous guy. Paul was ugly. <laughs> Jesus himself was homeless. Naomi was a widow. Miriam was a gossip. Jonah was disobedient and became a smelly dude. Samson was lustful and sorry. Samson was lustful and needed a haircut. John the Baptist dressed funny. Moses had a short, free, uh, short fuse. He had an anger problem. Elisha dealt with depression. Jeremiah was suicidal. Thomas and Gideon were both doubters. Noah had a drinking problem. Paul, David, and Moses were all murderers. Zacchaeus was too short. And Lazarus was dead. I, that's my favorite one. That's hilarious. Lazarus was dead, and God still used him. That's crazy. That's amazing. The fact is, guys, the fact is that no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life, <clears throat> no matter where you've come from, as a child of God, God has a plan for each of us. He wants to use us. He desires to use us. That blows my mind, you know. As much of a mess up as I am, all the things that I struggle with, all the things that go through my mind, God still wants to use me. He wants to use every last one of you guys, if you're willing, if you're willing to be used. I think sometimes the difficulty is that 
we compare ourselves to other people, that we look at other people and say, well, you know, I don't play the guitar, so God probably won't use me. Or, you know, my, I'm not rich, so God probably can't use me. You know, I'm too poor or whatever. Our lives don't look like somebody else's, so we think that we have this ideal in our minds. We have this, like, mindset that this is what the ideal person that God uses looks like. And that's simply not, not the truth, you know. God doesn't, it, it, the Bible says that he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak to confound the strong. I've seen that definitely in my life. Um, being in Costa Rica, when we first went down there, uh, like I said, I was there for eight months. I went down there with three other guys. And us three, us four guys couldn't be more different. You know, one of us, uh, Ryan, which some of you guys know, <clears throat> he was more like the uh, teacher, pastor-like guy, right? Um, and Sosimo, uh, that's a real name, I didn't just make it up. Sosimo was more of an administrative guy, and he was more of like the goofy, doesn't care what anybody thinks, he'll do it. Like, I, I just can't. Even when I was little, like when I was in, in, in Sunday school, I, I didn't like all the songs, like all the silly songs. Like I, I just always felt embarrassed. It's like this is, this is, I just feel dumb. You know, or even, or even like sometimes we'll go to a wedding or something like that and my, and my wife is trying to get me out on the dance floor and like I'll only do dances where there's like, like I'll only like salsa dance or something like that. I won't just like go out there and make a fool of my, I just can't do it, you know. Sosie could do that. That's what I'm trying to say. Sosimo was able to do that, you know. And Jerry, Jerry, he was a meth addict for 13 years. It's amazing because uh, if you guys have ever seen meth addicts, they are usually, after like one year, they're totally jacked up. They have like no teeth. He has all his teeth and he like looks pretty normal. You talk to him for, for a little bit and you're like, yeah, you did drugs. You can definitely tell. But, but the Lord really used him because he was able to talk to all those people who struggled with drugs, who uh, were alcoholics. Like we never could. I could never talk to somebody like that. I've never done drugs in my life. As many opportunities as I've had, I've never done it. I've never had a drinking problem. So I can't talk to people like that. And it's amazing that, you know, it's so cool because the Lord uses each and every one of us in one way or another. Whether, whether we totally understand that gifting that the Lord has given us, uh, he still uses us uh, specifically. He made us. Um, the, the Bible says that he formed us in the womb. <clears throat> and he made us for, for a specific reason. Let's turn to... Um, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, For as the body is one, and I talked about this earlier, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not, is it therefore not of the body? Exactly like I was saying, you know, thinking that just because I don't have this talent, then I'm not useful to the Lord. Verse 17, if the body, if, sorry, verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if, there were all, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head, head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And our, our unpresentable parts have great modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to, the, to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's a really... It's a really cool uh, analogy that the Lord gives us, you know. So I pray, you know, I really hope that this encourages you guys, you know, knowing how the enemy works sometimes, you know, because I really believe that um, there will be, there will come a time of testing that we're put through where, uh, to see if our faith is genuine, to see if our relationship with the Lord is for real. I saw plenty of people in this youth group when I was in high school, you know, so many people that aren't walking with the Lord anymore, <clears throat> that don't care, that just are completely apathetic to the things of the Lord, you know. And uh, whether or not they went through that time, I, I'm not sure, you know, but um, it's important to prepare ourselves for that battle, to prepare ourselves for that, that war, because the enemy is relentless. He's never going to stop, you know, until he is bound for eternity by God. He's not going to stop trying to trip us up. So we need to prepare ourselves for that and know how he works 
but more importantly, know how the Lord works, knowing how powerful our God is, the God that we serve, the God that's in us. So I would encourage you guys, uh, those of you who are struggling with something, you know, to share it with someone. You don't have to share it with us leaders, you know, uh, if you don't want to. We're not forcing you to, obviously. Um, but sharing whatever struggle you might have, it could be the most severe to the most simple thing. Simple as, I can't stop stealing Pop-Tarts from the store, you know, whatever. Uh, to, yeah, I have this problem. Uh, I'm not even going to try and throw anything out there. But I would also encourage you guys, as the body of Christ, to be there for one another, you know, to, to do like the Bible says, to bear one another's burdens, to help each other out. You know, we're in this together. This is, uh, the Bible talks about our Christian life uh, being a race, you know, and um, we're in it together. So I would encourage you guys to not so much seek to be consoled as to console, you know. I would encourage you guys to be that, that's, that consolation or that help to someone else, you know, and not, not just seek to be fed all the time, you know. And rejoicing in the fact that God, the creator of the universe, wants to have a relationship with us individually, a personal relationship. And if you tonight don't know the Lord, if you, this whole time I was talking, don't really know, you know, what this whole thing is about, and you want to know, and you want to see the power of God move in your life, like, like I have, like many people here have, I would encourage you guys to, you know, to talk to one of us leaders, you know, uh, or to talk to one of your friends that you know knows about about Jesus Christ and about what he did so yeah I'm excited to see what the Lord does in in each of your guys's lives you know and I'm excited to be a part of this youth group you know to see that happen so uh, let's pray